Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And I'm so excited to be here today. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. Now, I'm excited for today's episode. But before we get into that, I got to give a shout out because last week I dropped a bomb and announced a free video course that I've been working on for a long time about how most websites in our industry are leaking money. And I just want to tell you guys, thank you for the feedback that you've been sending me. It's been awesome to hear that the videos are helping you think about your website and the way that your marketing dollars work differently. And that's what the point of it is. I'll talk about it a little bit later in today's episode, but you can go to yourwebsiteisleakingmoney.com and download the free video series to learn the things that you need to make your marketing dollars work for you. So going into today's episode, the title of it is Process from Chaos. And I really believe right now in our industry, there is a leadership crisis. And it really exists at a lot of different levels. But there's a lot of businesses who are stuck in the whirlwind and their business is just out of control. It's like a treadmill that always goes faster and faster and faster and they're never able to get off because there's not leadership in place and process in place to build something that's bigger than the owner or the manager of the company. And I hear this all the time when I go and speak and I really wanted to talk to Eli about this and you're going to get to meet her in just a minute, but she is a senior leader within Fireside Home Solutions, our company in the Pacific Northwest. We're coming up on about 200 employees, and she is like tied for number two in the company. And what I'm excited to talk to her about is the idea that if you want to grow something bigger than yourself, you have to have process for it. And Eli gives us just some amazing insight into building process into organization and into leadership. And what you're going to find as you listen to her is that she has a very organized mind. And I'm telling you, it's worth getting out a notepad for this because Eli is seriously one of the smartest people I've ever met. And the way that her mind works is extremely articulate and organized, and it's worth listening to the insight that she's bringing to the table. Now, I'm going to set the stage for you guys with this, because I knew that she was going to be coming down to Portland. It's about a three-hour drive. So I invited her out to dinner, and I said, let's just do this. Let's record a conversation about leadership and process, and this isn't really going to be a formal interview. So what we did is we went and found a brewery that had just an amazing patio. The sun was out. It was warm outside, and we literally just set the mics up at the table. So I'm just prefacing this now that if you hear a lot of background noise more than normal if you hear a little bit of music playing well it's because we're sitting on the patio at this restaurant and so as you listen to this episode i want you to imagine that you're sitting next to us just observing the conversation drinking a nice beer looking over lake oswego in portland oregon and this is a little bit of a change of pace from the normal interviews that we do but i think that the heart of this conversation was extremely genuine and the way that we recorded it actually helped that out so i hope you guys get some amazing value out of it we'll circle back at the end and talk a little bit more. 
Joining me from Seattle, Washington, is the VP of Inside Operations at Fireside Home Solutions. I am joined by Eli Rosa. What's up, Eli? How you doing? I'm good. How are you, Tim? Good. Hey, I'm excited. We uh, were able to get some dinner. We're sitting here in Lake Oswego looking over a patio, having some beers. And I think that this is going to be a really good conversation. Thanks a ton for coming on board the podcast today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Tim. So, Eli, I'm stoked to have you on the show today. You know, you're a person that I've thought about for a long time coming on board. I think there's going to be a ton of value that you give. And I want to jump into this conversation about kind of bringing process into chaos. But before we do that, can you give our audience just a little bit of background on what it is that you do at Fireside? Sure. So I work with our customer care team. We we really have the control and management of our customer experience from the time something is sold until the time it's installed and completed and ready to be filled. So really working to stabilize that and find any ways that we can to improve that for customers. I also manage our company's lead initiatives and um, oversee the IT and HR departments at a strategic level. Okay. And so and we'll jump into the lean stuff in a little bit because I think that's really important. But for a lot of people listening, I don't think they realize the scale that you're dealing with. So like when you talk about, you know, you handle the customer service team, you know, for a lot of companies, that's like one person, two people. Like, so how many people are underneath you? Sure. So, um, in our Oregon uh, department, we've got um, three customer service reps and a team lead, or actually a supervisor down there who works with me. Um, and then in the Washington department, I've got um, four folks in our house account department plus a supervisor. Um, and then in our new construction channel, there are um, five five folks and I manage them directly. And then in our service department, we have five folks who work under a supervisor. And then the commercial department at this point is just um, one um, one full-time employee and then two folks who work specifically with retail. So I'm trying to do the mental math. I, I think that you're over 20 people, 25 people. I, I haven't counted in a while, but yeah, it's definitely over 25. I think that I think that, that frames a really good context. That, that there's a lot of people and actually a lot of departments that kind of roll up to you. And I'm really excited to get into that. But as I've gotten to know you a little bit over the last number of years, you your journey to where you are now was not my journey. So like for me, this is my 15th year in the industry. I started as an installer, you know, did some work as a service tech, became a salesperson, became a manager, you know, whatever. But this was not your journey. Can you talk about your journey? Because you came in from the outside as an assistant, right? Yeah. So I actually, my background is in um, higher education accreditation. Um, so that so, translates perfectly to fireplaces, right? Yeah, a little different. So I actually worked at a private art college um, and I, I worked for the academic dean there. And eventually, um, as they took on a regional accreditation, became uh, in- integrated in that and then worked with them through the next couple of accreditation cycles. So that was a national and a regional accreditation over a few years. So that process is actually really similar to Lean. Um, but I came in with absolutely no understanding of the fireplace business. I did have a little bit of a head start because I grew up in construction. My dad owned a construction company. And so I grew up working in the family business and sort of understanding the construction cycle a little bit. Um, But I'd been out of it for a long time at that point. And the nonprofit world has a lot of really different uh, parameters than the for-profit world. So how did you get started as an assistant then? So I was working, um, I was working in accreditation and I was just looking to make a change. And I was offered an opportunity by Tom Widows, who, um, was the, a partner at Fireside who was managing the lean program, among other things and, and running the whole operations side. And he needed some help doing some executive assistant work and also a lot of project support. And so he kind of took a chance on me and brought me in and, um, he kind of took my my word that my background in accreditation would translate over, which I think it I think it does. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was a good foot into the to the industry. And I, I've really I've loved Fireside. I think 
in that bouncing around that I've done, I've really learned that um, the people that you work with really make the place that you work. And regardless of what you're doing, the people that you work with are kind of everything. They, they really influence your experience. And I love the people that I work with at Fireside. I feel really privileged to be there and to work with such a committed and genuine group of folks. So it was, uh, it just kind of felt like home, kind of snapped together. So it sounds like you're talking about one of our core values, which is our people are the source of our strength. Is Absolutely. that fair? Absolutely. Yeah. So so that was your journey coming in as an assistant. And how many years are you into Fireside? Four and a half? So four. Four years. Four okay. in August. So yeah. four years, you went from assistant to like VP. So like you are tied for the second highest rank in the company in four years. I think that sets a land speed record. But during during your time at Fireside, there's a lot of jobs that you've done. What what? How do you go from an assistant to one of the vice presidents of the company so sure. quickly? Yeah, so um, I've actually only held three titles at Fireside, but I think I've done a few different things. I started working, Tom had a lot of vision around technology and how we could use technology in our business. So a lot of the things that I I first started working on with him were um, IT related, and I learned a ton. I learned an, an absolute lifetime's worth from him and from the folks that we work with outside consultants. And um it, it was something that I had no, almost no background in. I had some background in phone systems, but I learned a ton and um, and ended up actually taking on after he um, after he left the company. I ended up taking on a lot of IT responsibilities. So I was at one point doing IT, but under the title still of executive administrator. And then I ended up taking on some HR. I have quite a bit of background in compliance. So I ended up taking on some HR functions and sort of sharing that with accounts receivable and payroll. And then I also sort of ended up having some leadership team um, involvement. And so that was sort of the springboard for me to work with the leadership team. We have a really uh, fantastic, diverse leadership team, and they really welcomed me and sort of allowed me to um, begin project managing for them. And that was sort of the, the catalyst, I think, that helped me get integrated with them and, and moving throughout the company. And at that point, I think my title changed to BPI manager. So I was managing all of our business process improvement initiatives. And that, I think, was about a year and a half. And then I transitioned into the BP role. Well, and the thing that I think about is, I when I think about Eli, I think of a lot about that BPI business process improvement. And I think one thing that it shows is that if you are someone who is able to improve the process of a business, which i.e. helps you save money or make money, retain jobs, grow yourself, then you're gonna be advanced, right? Is that fair? That if you can improve a business, that's the way that you grow. Sure. I think that my training in accreditation really sort of prepared me for that in a lot of ways. And I, I, I guess I would I would modify what you said just a little bit in that if you can change a business and you can bring the people along with you, you'll advance in a company. And that's where the accreditation piece comes in because my training in accreditation was all about asking the people who do the work to help you understand what is actually happening, what the goals are, and how we compare it to other institutions. And that is something that I think is the bedrock of lean, but can be really hard for people who come from a business background. I think there's a lot of top-down hierarchical uh, training for folks who come from a, a strict business background. And I didn't have to unlearn any of that. So that was an advantage. And, and I think that that really sort of helped me to focus on relationships right out of the gate and really um, go straight to those folks. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so, and so, Eli, one of the things that I want to talk about today, the reason that I wanted to have you on the podcast is that this episode's theme is building process in the midst of chaos. And I feel like 
I don't think there's anyone I know who understands this better than you. Is it fair to say that as you've risen into this role, one of your primary objectives has been building process in the midst of just a, a chaotic whirlwind? I would say that's fair. Yeah, I think the construction industry in general has a lot of chaos. There's a lot that's outside of control. We're really subject to the weather. We're subject to other trades. There's a lot of skilled labor constraints. Um, things happen that are outside of our control that kind of lead to chaos despite our best laid plans. And we have to be able to respond to that. We have to be able to keep our company humming and meeting our customers' needs regardless of what happens. And it's our responsibility to our customer to constantly improve, to change with the tides and make sure that we're there for them regardless of what's changing in the market and regardless of what's changing in our business. So I think process really allows us to bring order to that chaos, or at least to orchestrate straight the chaos. There you go. I heard an analogy that the idea is that we don't control the wave, but we are the surfer. And there and there is a small amount you can choose how you ride the wave. That, that the chaos is there, it's about how you ride it. Absolutely. And I think that one of the things that I think is a little bit of a struggle in the construction industry is that there's a lot of there's a lot of what we do that's tried and true. It's always going to be the same. Code is code. A certain um a certain function that happens in the field has to happen the way it has to happen. It has to happen that way every time. And that's a struggle when you're looking at something that's a challenge and you need to become really flexible and you need to think in really creative ways and think outside the box. It's, it's, just, it's difficult, I think, for us sometimes to switch back and forth between the functions of our business that have to happen a certain way and the functions of our business where we actually get to be really creative and change, change things and sort of open up to infinite possibility and then tighten down to what works for us. So I think in the construction industry, especially, it's really, um, it's really kind of exciting to work with folks who, who have so much knowledge and work in really structured ways and then help them kind of open up to those possibilities and, and processes that will bring structure, but in a way that's different than what we've done before. Now, Eli, our industry isn't one that understands process very well. It's almost like we're afraid of being, you know, too corporate. And I think it's, there's probably good intention to that, that our industry is kind of founded by entrepreneurs in the seventies and eighties that have pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. They've wanted to control their destiny, but I, I think we kind of need to get over the fear of being too corporate because isn't process the key to running a business that wins long-term? Yeah, I think there's a real misconception about what having process in your business means. So I think a lot of people hear process and they think, oh, that's going to constrict me. It's going to keep me from being able to be flexible. It's going to keep me from thinking on the fly. I'm not going to be able to meet my customers' needs in the moment and or I'm not going to be able to meet my staffing needs in the moment. I'm not going to be able to meet my training needs in the moment, whatever people are afraid of, right? And I think we see that even in our own business. And, and I even find myself falling prey to that. And the reality is when you don't have a solid process, you can't improve. When you don't know what you are doing that's working or not working, you can't get better. It's really just throwing a dart in the dark. You have no idea what you're going to hit. And it may work once in a while, but it's not predictable. You can't over time say, this is what we've done. This is what worked. This is what didn't and continually improve it. And that's where process really becomes invaluable. How can you over the long term ensure the success of your business by continually working on it, continually improving? And it's difficult. There are some trade-offs that you make, but I think overall process doesn't slow you down. It speeds you up. There you go. hundred percent. So, so with this, Eli, I want to jump into where I wanted to go next. You've mentioned lean a couple times in this conversation. And I know that one of your key roles at Fireside through business process improvement is 
initiating lean thinking and recently that's evolved into Kaizen type thinking. Can you just kind of fill in the gaps of what are those trains of thought for, I don't think most of our audience has, has heard those terms before. Sure. So lean is a process uh, sort of based on the Toyota processing, excuse me, TPS Toyota processing system, which is all about how to continually improve your business. So Toyota really um, is kind of the, the gold standard for a business that continually improves and has a lot of systems in place to allow the people who do the work to drive that change and to decide the direction of how the business is going to become more efficient. So if I'm hearing you, as I've, as I've experienced Lean under your direction at Fireside, Lean, you know, they call it the art of subtraction. And I think about the situation where everyone knows the things that their job, that they say, why on earth do we do it this way? Right? The boots on the ground people say a situation is, every day I have to write a report that I send to my boss and then they send it to the purchasing team. Why on earth don't I just send it to the purchasing team? Why does, you know, that that's what lean is. Lean is eliminating the waste so that the people that are boots on the ground can actually give a voice to eliminating the things that are stupid and redundant and don't matter. I mean, is that is that a fair assessment of what absolutely. lean is at its core? Yeah, it's, it's a little embarrassing that I missed the waste part in my <laughs> definition. Yeah, so absolutely. Lean is about subtracting waste from your business. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. And I think typically, as you said, the people who do the job know the very best what waste is, where it is, and how to do better. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. So, okay, so Lean is about the art of subtraction. And, and as a company, I don't think this is revealing too much, but like for us, the way it's worked is we used to keep millions of dollars worth of product in inventory, Absolutely, early yeah. buys, all this financial commitment. And if we guessed wrong on the early buy, we're sunk. And that actually did sink our company back in the downturn. I mean, yeah. laying off tons of people, all this bad stuff. So as we've adopted Lean Thinking, there's been a principle of like, well, we're not going to do early buys. We are not going to be burdened by all of this excess waste and inventory and things. And it's made it to where we can run a pretty tight ship. Like when people come through our warehouse, they're shocked at like, we don't keep much inventory because we've eliminated that waste so that we can divert the money to people and, you know, other things that are going to help the company win. And that's the whole philosophy behind lean thinking, right? Absolutely. Yeah. When our money's tied up in inventory, it's not working for us. And when our people are tied up in non-value add activities, they're not working for us. So it's kind of across the gamut from how we manage our inventory to how we manage our time. Uh, And I think that the most recent example that I have of how we've implemented something would be the sales team. So in our Washington side, we happen to have uh, kind of the right the right combination of number of sales folks to number of inside support staff. And we were able to kind of take that and chunk it down and get our sales teams paired up with some people on the inside in a, in a group format that still utilizes everybody's sort of general knowledge, but allows accounts to have a point person. And what that ended up doing for us was not only create accountability for who was responsible for what, but to also make sure that somebody was right there for the salesperson. It decreased the waiting time for the customer. It decreased the waiting time for the salesperson. It made sure that things got processed as quickly as possible because rather than having to go research what was going on with the account, the person knew what was going on for the account. So in our previous system where we utilized a lot of generalists, every time an order order came in, anybody could handle it. But they had to stop and research. Because they didn't know the context. They didn't know the context, right? So there was a lot of flexibility in that system. And in in our previous paradigm, we believed that was more efficient. Unfortunately, we hit a a trade-off with the the revenue that we were doing and the number of employees that we had, where 15 people can't know enough about 500 accounts to efficiently handle them. But three people can know a lot about 150 There you go. Yeah. 
That's awesome. And, and I think that Lean, I, I think that I might be ripping you off here. I think that Lean brought our company to a certain point. But recently, we have started to evolve into a Kaizen structure of thinking. Can you talk about the difference between Lean and Kaizen? Sure. And I, I may be bastardizing this a little bit sure. myself, but I think the way that I think about it and the shift that I'm trying to make in our company is from from a, an event-based or a major initiative-based way of thinking to a daily practice way of thinking. So Kaizen is really about involving everybody in the company as a practice of continual improvement. And I think that's the part that it's a little bit less sexy than the big event where everyone gets together and we accomplish something really big together, but it has a lot of power in that we're able to solve the day-to-day challenges as they come up and really eliminate waste before it gets out of control or before there's a lot of cost involved. So we've implemented a couple of different things. So we have a daily stand-up meeting, and this is a really tried and true practice within the lean community um, to have a daily stand-up meeting. And you stand up so that it stays short. Everybody's standing so they're aware of how much time has passed. You don't sit down and get comfortable. So typically it should be about a 15 or 20 minute meeting. We do have one that runs longer because it's a larger group and that's a 30 minute meeting. Uh, but we, we typically in those meetings get together, we process through um, what we know to be waste. So that's dry runs or fallouts in our business when we've gone out to a customer's site and not be able, been able to complete the scope of work. Uh, we process through all of those. We then look at our schedule and try to prevent any waste that we can see is coming up. And then we also look at customer experience. What can we do to refine customer experience over the next three to five days? So I think that's been a really successful practice for us. We haven't been doing it all that long, but already we're seeing a lot of gains from that. And then we're also sort of taking that information and rolling it up into a weekly wrap-up. So we look back at the week behind us and we look forward at the week to come and say, what have we learned? How do we apply it? And that has also been a really successful practice. I think people really like to see those results. Nobody wants to have to hold on to their ideas or information that they have about waste that should be eliminated for weeks at a time. So a daily and weekly practice has been a good thing. Well, I think the folks that are listening to this, I think this is going to be music to their ears because it sounds so simple. Yeah, have a daily meeting where we review what jobs fell out the day before. How can we improve that? You have a weekly wrap-up meeting. What worked this week? What do we have coming up next week? But honestly, like companies just don't do it. It says easy, but it does hard. I'm quoting Tim Rethlake here. Yeah. I mean, isn't that the truth? Yeah, absolutely. It's something that took us a long time to get to. And I think one of the key factors there is trust. It took us a long time to build the trust in the, in the work groups that we have, in the teams that we have across departments, that everybody could come to those meetings and know that it was going to be really valuable time and also know that they were going to be heard and something was going to be acted on. And that sounds straightforward, but it takes a lot of work in the background to make all of that happen every day and once a week. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast for the last couple of weeks, you know that I've been saying that most websites in our industry are leaking money. And here's the reason why. So if you look at this marketing cycle, companies, number one, will spend thousands of dollars in marketing to potential customers about their products. That's great, but that marketing ends up sending customers to a website that doesn't engage them with that brand or collect any information for a lead. So then customers leave the website with no connection to the brand And they might even know that they want a fireplace, but since they're not connected to you, they buy elsewhere. So one of the primary ways that you can engage customers is by capturing a lead 
and generating an estimate with your website. If you think about it, the main reason that customers are on your website is to figure out what's going to work in my home and how much is it going to cost. Your website should be capturing a name, an email address, a phone number, some way to contact the customer and also provide your sales team a lead to follow up on. If you can do this, you can take control and patch the holes in your website so that your marketing dollars start working for you. Now, I've actually got a free video series that goes through three specific reasons that your website's leaking money and it gives you the tools that you need to do something about it. Now you can get this totally free by going to yourwebsiteisleakingmoney.com. That's yourwebsiteisleakingmoney.com. So Eli, I'm going to come right out and say it. I I think that you are absolutely brilliant. I I frankly think you're one of the smartest people I've ever met in the sense that you have an understanding of both the systems of business and the people. And I'm going to ask you a question just point blank here. As, as you have risen through the ranks at Fireside and come into an extremely male-dominated industry, has it been difficult as a woman to just come into the dynamics of high leadership and strong personalities? What, talk to me about what, is, what has that been like for you? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you, Tim. That's an incredible compliment. I really appreciate it. <laughs> I mean it. Um, I think that's, that's especially coming from you. I really appreciate that. Um, as far as my, you know, my sort of journey in the construction industry, I think I did have a little bit of a leg up in that my, I grew up in construction to some degree and I have four brothers. So, so that kind of informs my, my background a little bit. And I also think it gives me a context to sort of understand how to communicate across. So, um, I, I do think there are some struggles there. And I think also like coming from coming to back to construction after being in the nonprofit world, there are definitely some different rules of engagement as you transfer between those two worlds. And I think that, um, I think that there are some great things about the construction industry and how straightforward we tend to be and how, uh, goal focused we tend to be. And there's a lot that's tangible. So it's easy to remember how to be goal focused on what we're delivering. Well, and I'm going to jump right in. So, so, and I think that just knowing you, I think that the goal focused, the direct, I think that fits in really well with your personality. But what I think about a lot of the time is like, when, when, and I'm just going to say it, like when you meet a guy who's like assertive and aggressive and they go out and get things, like people are like, oh yeah, that's like an up and coming leader. I might be stereotyping here, but very often for a woman, when they're like goal oriented, determined, it's like, no, she's a B, you know, or yeah, like, she's like, yeah. have you like, what's that been like? There's a real double bind there. I absolutely agree. So if you don't, if you aren't assertive, if you don't know how to speak your mind, if you don't know how to stand up for yourself, you get left behind or you get spoken over. Right. Um, and at the same time, if you do, you run the risk of being, uh, abrasive, right. Sure. It, it may be a more politically correct yeah. term. Right. So I think it, it's a struggle. It, it's a real balance that you have to strike. And I, I don't know that that's always productive. I, I feel like I've spent a lot of time hedging with people or really struggling to couch my remarks so that they'd be heard in a specific way that I might not have had to in another setting. So Ian Morgan Crone, he's an Enneagram expert. He says there's a question that everyone should ask someone close to them. And, and this is a tough question. He's, so he says, what do you know about me that I don't know about me that I should? And so I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here. So if men in our industry asked you that question, what do you know about us that we don't, that we should, what would your answer be? Sure. That's a really tough question, Tim. I feel like I'm going to kind of draw on my experience as I've been trained by some folks who have some insight that I don't. So I have some really wonderful friends of color um, who've sort of given me the gift of giving me this insight. And I would say what I have learned is that 
Diversity of thought is never a bad thing. When somebody disagrees with you or when somebody sees things in a different way, that's an invitation to information that you wouldn't otherwise have access to. So rather than seeing that as a threat or rather than seeing it as something that slows you down, try to see that as the gift that it is. I think that a lot of times we are called upon in this industry to to follow our gut instinct. We have to act. We have to do things in a very timely manner to meet our customers' expectations. However, when we're given the opportunity to plan things out in advance or to strategically plan, when we can include voices that are disparate from ours, including women in our industry, people of color in our industry, people with different gender identities or sexualities than us, those are the voices of our customers. They're absolutely representative of the folks that want to buy our products. And the more that we can, I, the more that we can include them and the more that we can learn to understand where they're coming from and not just include them, but seek out their counsel and seek out their perspectives, the more holistic our businesses are going to be, the more successful our businesses are going to be, the more we're going to grow as individuals. Wow. That's an amazing answer. And I, I got to listen back to that and think about that because I, I think that you're onto something. When you said that that's the voice of our customers, man, that's the truth. It's really good. It's really good. Well, circling back here, you know, one thing I've appreciated about you is I feel like you're constantly learning and open to new ideas. And, and I think back in particular, a couple months ago, you, me, and Grant Falco were sitting in the Minneapolis airport and we riffed on like the retail sales process for honestly the better part of, of an hour or two. And I thought the conversation really started humming. But what I want to ask you is how do you fight against the we know it all syndrome? So like, you're the VP of a company that is monstrous, you know, 200 employees like selling a ton of products. How do you fight against that idea that, well, we've got it figured out? And I mean, I felt like when we were in there talking with me and you and Grant, it was a really open dialogue that was looking honestly at like, do we have it figured out? How do we do this? Now I want to ask you, where does that come from? I think that I, I do struggle against that on occasion. I also think I'm just sort of hardwired to question. I think that's part of my makeup. Millennial. Yeah, I, I think that's part of it. I also think it's part of my upbringing, where I grew up and the family structure that I came from. And also the, the higher education background. I had some fantastic mentors when I worked for Oregon College of Art and Craft. I worked with an incredible faculty that I was privileged to know. And they really taught me about how to question with openness and honesty and integrity, everything they knew about themselves and what they believed. And that was an incredible gift to be given. And I think I learned from that how much stronger we are when, we, when we're able to question, when we're able to consider new ideas. And creative people are such incredible templates for that. They're always looking at what's next, what's new, how can I make something that's different? And I think that's sort of become my lens. My background is in higher education, but I came into that through a background in fine art. And I really had a lot of training in how to see what your constraints are and outpace that or go beyond that or think beyond what those constraints are and make something totally unexpected. So it, It's interesting you, you give that angle of the art background because for me, like my qualification for this industry is playing in a failing punk band for 10 years. And when I think about, I, I, I joke around and say this a lot, that, that playing in a failing punk band has uniquely qualified me for the role that I'm in now. But I think that there is something to the fact, I think about songwriting and the idea that like, if I, if I come to the band with a, the framework of a song 
it will never make it in its current state that I've constructed to the final product that I actually, it actually gets beat up. Like people say, dude, that verse sucks. Why are you doing that? You know what? Out of everything that you wrote, only this little bridge hook was good. So then you start with the bridge hook because that was good. And then you build and you build and you build. And I think there's something to the fact of being humble enough to, I think, I think back in episode one, I think Tim Rethlick said this. He said his wife always looks at him and says, maybe you shouldn't always assume that you're right about everything. And I think that there's something to that, that if we can be people that are humble enough to say, you know what, maybe I don't have it figured out. I think that that's actually where power is. Yeah, I think that in life, nobody ever has it figured out. And the sooner we realize that, the easier things go. I think that that's so interesting that you say that. So for me, the last year has been really interesting. So this podcast launched last year in September. And over the course of that year, um, I've had the opportunity to, to travel to like literally all over the country and speak to businesses and, and talk to at events and be like the person. And what if I'm being honest about myself, I feel like for me, I know less than I did a year ago. I, I literally feel that way. I feel like I know less about sales. I know less about marketing. I know less about being a leader than I did a year ago. And I would hope that part of that is based in a humility of saying, as I learn more, my mind is actually opened to how much I don't know. And I think that that's the key. I think that holding that mentality is the key to always being someone that's growing and growing and growing. Yeah, my very wise parents used to say to me when I was a very obnoxious teenager that if I knew if I knew all the things about life, I ought to go ahead and write a book now while I remembered them. <laughs> and that didn't make that much sense to me until I was older. And I totally agree with you. I think the younger we are or, or the less experienced we are, the less exposed we are, the more we think we understand. And the more we learn, the more we realize we we can't possibly grasp all the different perspectives, all the amazing information that's out there. And and hopefully we can open our minds to understand how much we need each other and how much we need to work together to really fill in those gaps. 100%. Well, Eli, I really appreciate you being on the show today. And in closing, I want to just ask you, you know, you're, you're speaking right now to young women in our industry all over the country in Canada who are listening to this. What would you say to someone who's hoping somebody to be in your shoes? I would say that... <laughs> The more that you share what's inside of you, the, the more successful you're going to be. You don't have to change who you are to be in this industry. You just have to be who you are. You have to speak up and be unashamed to be who you are. It's not about molding yourself to fit into somebody else's ideal anymore. It's about being authentic and it's about showing up and adding the value that you bring. And the more that we hide that, I think the more people people know that. People know that we're not showing up fully or that we're not showing up authentically. And that's off putting to everyone. So just show up who you are, be unashamed, be willing to learn and be willing to contribute. That's there all you have go. to do. There you go. Eli, dropping knowledge bombs. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. We appreciate you. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Tim. It's been great. All right. Thanks. Wow. Now, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Eli Rosa. Again, I'm sorry that the audio quality was a little bit different than normal, but I felt like it was really important just to set mics up at the restaurant. And I think that there was actually a pretty cool feel to it. So next week, we will get back to normal studio audio quality. But I thought that, that was a really fun conversation. Now, I think about this a lot. Our industry is not big on process. And I've worked in a few different companies and honestly, like they were all good companies, but there wasn't a focus on process. There was a lot of focus on just get it done, just get it done, just get it done. And 
it's because there's a lot of complexities to our industry and there are certain situations that maybe a team member can't make the call, they don't have the answer, so they go to the person that can get them the answer, they make the decision and they do it. And it seems like that's the right thing. And it is to a point. But there comes a point in a company when there is a difference between building something that will last as a leader and doing everything yourself. And frankly, there's a lot of companies in our industry where the owner, the manager, whoever it is, wants to be the hero. They want to have the answers. They want everything to go through them. And a lot of the time, it's an ego thing. And this is a way to handicap your company. It's never going to grow further than you because you're the lid on the company. Instead of that, what we need to be thinking about is building something bigger than us, and that involves process. What's tough is that in the normal order of operations, say someone's a great salesperson. Well, because they're a great salesperson, they get promoted to a sales manager. Or maybe they're a terrific installer. And because they were so good at installing, they get promoted to an installation manager. The problem is that just because you were a good doer doesn't mean that you're going to be good at building systems and processes for an entire company to scale to that next level. And this is something that is so hard. I mean, I I fight this personally because everything in me wants to give answers. And I found for me personally, I got to ask myself, long term, is this a good use of my time? Or do we need to build a process or a system or provide training so that someone else could do this the same or better than me? And frankly, a lot of us think that team members will never be able to learn it better than us. I'm telling you, they will. (laughs) They will be able to learn it better than you if you teach them, if you build a system, if you build a process. The idea of leader versus doer is extremely important because there is a profound difference. It doesn't mean that leaders don't work, but it means that leaders work differently. If you're in a leadership position, your team is looking to you for the success of their livelihood. I mean, you got to be the one looking for roadblocks way down the road, further out than anyone can see. You got to be the one to step into issues that only you can solve and you will not be able to do that if you're the answer man or the answer lady for every situation. So I'll tell you a little bit about what this has looked like for me, and I'm just going to preface, I'm not perfect at this, but as I looked at building a retail department with where I was at Fireside, I came into an empty warehouse. It was just me, basically no showroom, there's just a couple stoves sitting on pallets more or less, but from the beginning, I was always thinking about building it bigger than myself. So as I started to sell, I realized that it took forever to do price quotes because manufacturers price books are really confusing and there was all this complexity to it. So I spent like the better part of two weeks building a pricing spreadsheet that simplified what I did to be able to quote virtually any customer in less than five minutes if I had the right information for their situation. And with it, it had all the installed margins of the different products, the different discount levels that we offered so that everything was uniform and it was the same. This helped me start churning out quotes faster than anybody else because more quotes is going to equal more sales. Now, At the beginning, I was an individual salesperson, and as I got busier and busier and started to hire other team members on and moved into a management role, I gave them my pricing spreadsheet, and it evolved over time, but this actually helped them begin to quote and sell without having to know as much. They were able to still do this accurately, and because of that, they started to be able to sell better and faster than I did in that role because a system and a process had been developed. 
This sounds small, but for me personally, what I've found is that building systems and processes into sales, into inbox management, into order processing, these things will grow your business. And I'm telling you, if you do this right, you'll find that you actually raise up people better than you. I mean, I will say with zero shame that there's people on my retail team that have sold more than I have ever sold in retail in a year. And I love it. And they were able to do it in less time than me. And the reason why is that from the beginning, I was always thinking about how can I get above this to create something bigger than myself that someone else can take and have wild success with. And this is really important. And like I said, I I have not done it perfectly, but I believe as leaders, we have to be getting above the situation and building systems and processes in to make life easier for our team members. And then your primary role as a leader is to remove roadblocks. Now, in closing, I do want to share this. You know, I asked Eli very candidly about some questions in regards to how it's been for her being a woman in our industry. And I've talked about this in a few episodes. We have a very male-dominated industry. And that's not evil in and of itself, but I believe that we desperately need women to be giving voice and perspective that people like me just don't think about naturally. And I'm excited to have Eli share candidly on that. And I think what she said about when someone offers a different perspective than you, it's an invitation to see the world differently. That is so important. And this goes beyond sales. I mean, this goes to life in general. It doesn't mean that you have to agree with everybody. It doesn't mean that you have to see things exactly the same way. But I am telling you, when you can get a diversity of opinion chances are you're going to make the right decision. I mean, they talk about in the book of Proverbs how it's in the multitude of counsel that you're able to make a wise decision. And I think that Eli really hit on that. So I think that she gave some amazing perspective in how to build order out of chaos. I think she was able to speak very candidly and honestly about some of the things that she's experienced and how we can be growing ourselves and our team members into the people that we want to be. So I hope this conversation was great for you. I'm excited that you were able to pull up a metaphorical chair alongside of us at that restaurant and just listen into our dinner conversation. And I'm really excited to see what the future holds, guys. I'm not joking when I say this. As I talk to the people who are listening to this podcast, you are the future leaders of our industry. And as you step into who you truly are and bring your God-given abilities and perspective into this industry, I'm just convinced that there's going to be rampant success all the way around. So with that, I'm going to sign off and I'm excited to see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. Too bad.